we don't want children's entertainers. If you're a children's entertainer, we don't want you. You have to be a comedian for adults that's willing to do a set for kids. Right. And it mustn't be patronising. If you're patronising, we don't we don't book you. The kids are your audience. Don't speak down to them. That's yeah, the whole yeah, point. Yeah. So, and, and it's just so exciting. Hello, I'm Dave. I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together. I need to get better. Please make me better. I want to get better, better, better acquainted with you. Today we're getting better acquainted with Turnin. Do you know? Do, do you know? Oh, I knew I was going to get it. <laughs> You've added an N in there. Do it doesn't need do you. Dieb. Dieb, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I you mean, see, I don't know where you added N in from. I don't know why either. I'm like that, though. Right. Uh, I, I definitely add in letters to okay. words that I'm... If there's a word that I feel anxious about, I will put extra mental obstacles in, in, in sort of sorting it out. Like I like things. that. It's like you're sabotaging yourself. <clears throat> yeah, I good. think so. I think that's how yeah. it works. I, I knew that was going to be a hard pronunciation bit for me. I mean, when we were filling in the consent form before the, the show started, like I was impressed at the amount of vowels that is in your surname. And you must yeah. get this all the time. Uh, horrendously. Like, just all, like, it's interesting. A lot of people add letters. Like I've had Dweeb, They've added a B or Dovieb or Dweeb. Board, and all the way to like just Davis where they don't really bother and like right. I've always thought about like just putting a frequently asked questions on my webpage and instead I made one up and I just said Tin and do you pronounced E-Y-R crunk yeah. and I get radio DJs thinking oh, yes it looks like do but is that actually it's actually pronounced yeah, no that's a joke on a yeah, website yeah, yeah. and I just make it harder for myself I mean when, so, when I was looking up your website before I came I, I got the joke yeah but I, I, I did think I did think for a moment there was a moment where I was like is that is that a joke? Is that, yeah. is that serious? Well, it's when you come across people like... I don't know if you've met Cueve McDonnell. He's an Irish stand-up, but his... Cueve is spelled C-A-I-M-H, I think. And I just thought it was Kamer or something. Right. But you would have no idea that that's Cueve, like, ever. It's ridiculous. So, yeah, yeah it, can, it could throw you off. Yeah, totally I mean, fair. it's all, it's like it's like when the Lord of the Rings movie came out and, like, I, I discovered I'd been, you know, these cherished books I've been reading all my childhood, I've been saying the names wrong in my head the entire <laughs> time. But, you know... It would, or it, maybe it all the films said them wrong. That is right, the other, that's right, the other right, possibility. Right, maybe. We don't know how Tolkien said them. Maybe. He's the only one that could have clarified <laughs> exactly... That's true. Yeah. So, yeah, so the first question that I ask everybody is, how do you know me? That's a good question. I, I suppose through comedy things... I guess yeah. through because I know you run Stand Up Tragedy, but I've only really met you very recently. Probably mm. on the I don't think we met. Had we met before the we march? We hadn't met before no. the march. So I met you on the on the anti austerity march uh, the other week. I can't remember the date. That's terrible. Isn't it? I don't remember times and dates. No, I, mean just, I look about a day ahead, and that's what I get. So I met you on that, and that was it, because we were part of the Arts Emergency Crew, which was really lovely to be yeah. part of. Yeah. It was, it's nice. I, I sort of uh, yeah, I've got funny. Uh, not funny views of demonstrations, but I sort of, uh, I think we talked about this on the day, but I- I'm not sure how useful they are anymore in terms of fighting against things because yeah, yeah, we're in a digital too. age and, 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 then, and, and ever since the, you know, the anti-Iraq march, no government's paid attention. But what that day was, was lovely. It felt like, oh, there's a, not only is there, was there hundreds of people, thousands of people that, that all felt the same way, but our little group of arts emergency, it was so nice to be the group of people that all cared about the same thing, right. marching together, right. just gave you a little bit of hope and a little bit of unity and, yeah. and such nice people to chat to when you're spending four hours marching a not very long distance. Right. So that was, that was, that was lovely. Yeah, it did take a long time to go very small distance. Unbelievably long. <laughs> and I needed a wee before we set off. That was right. like the worst thing ever. <laughs> so I, I, I met you through that, but I have known about you from longer mm. and I've followed you on Twitter for a little while and yeah, I right. know yeah and I know of uh, I know of your comedy night and the fact that you do too many podcasts yeah I mean I didn't know right. how many until today but that is <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean it's a funny yeah it's a funny one I guess because yeah I mean a lot of the time people refer to it as a comedy night I guess and it it, it does have comedians on it but I always, but the only reason I'm correcting this is just because I I never want people to sort of come with the wrong expectations. Well, it's, it's called stand-up tragedy. Yeah. I, don't I, I mean, I refer to it as comedy simply because you put stand-up at the beginning and yeah. it's, it's almost like a default yeah, 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 brain yeah, thing. Yeah, I just yeah. throw the comedy in. Is, I, right. Yes, I understand. I understand it's, uh, there's definite tragedy in there, right. which I love. But I think, but then uh, <clears> I would argue the best comedy comes from, of the best comedy, not all the best comedy, but some of the best comedy comes from tragedy. Well, me too. And that's why comedians are part of that, of that variety lineup. Although I do find that comedians... 
Although, you know, I, I agree that, that so much comedy comes through tragedy, but then so many comedians find the stand-up tragedy room a bit strange because because it's variety, because it's going from sad to happy. They're not getting the laughs in the places that they right. would in a fully warmed-up comedy room. Do you know what I mean? It's, right. It's, it, it's a, it's, you don't get as many laughs, but you're more you know, you're able to make people cry there in a way that you probably wouldn't in a comedy room. Right. Do you know what oh, I mean? that's so, fascinating. So it's got, you've got options, but... But definitely, yeah, there's definitely been a few comedians who've like bit felt kind of really self-conscious after doing really great sets because yeah. the audience have appreciated the material in a different way than they used to. You know? That's really fascinating. I, I've, I've obviously not done it for you before, but I'm doing it in Edinburgh. Yeah, right. And in my head, I think, it's lucky I'm sort of talking about this now, in my head, a lot of my material is quite angry. <laughs> stuff at the moment, So I thought I'd probably do that because it's generally about how tragic I find the world. But actually, now that you told me that, it's perhaps more interesting to do a story or something. Yeah, well, it's all... Particularly individual, but... Both are good. Like, right. I, I like to have some... I mean, if, if all the comic comedians play it straight in a, in a night, when I'm doing a full night rather than the end of the hour... That can be a bit much, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's like, well, I, in a, you know, when I'm programming it, I kind of sort of, you know, put the comedians on to break the tension sure. when I know there's going to be some tension from, you know, a really serious act. Right. So that can be where I make mistakes in programming because I don't know what people are going to do beforehand. Right. I like the idea of me, the host, finding out with the audience. I think that that kind of means we're on the same journey. So it kind Definitely, of like hopefully yeah. makes that makes yeah puts everybody at more ease in the audience. Like yeah. none of us know what's going to happen. I'm not in this kind of authoritative right. kind of position. But yeah. That's no, nice. But, it, yeah. but it's interesting. And I want people to do whatever they think tragedy is, because actually, that's what I like. I like kind of expanding the idea of what, yeah. what the night can be. Like, if somebody wants to do something very different, then that's great with me. You know? Yeah, 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 of course. And of course, they can be quite serious, really upsetting tragedy, or just, oh, something's a bit tragic. <laughs> like, lesser extent stuff. So, yeah, that's fascinating. I've been getting really into... Fats is what, what I'm going to go and watch tonight, but... Uh, uh, I don't know if you've ever listened to the Moth podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. And I've never... I, I don't know how I've not known about this because it's been around for years and years and years and years. But recently I saw Louis C.K. had won the award, the Moth award, annual award. And so I watched it because I'm a big fan of his. And it's up on YouTube, his acceptance speech, which is beautiful. It's a beautiful story. It's worth watching yeah, just okay. for the story. But I became intrigued he talked about how whenever he listens to it, there's always the point where he has to pull over and cry. And so I've started listening to him weekly now and I find it so engrossing. There's maybe been, possibly over over about two months now, there's maybe been only two or three stories I've kind of not felt something for, which is, uh, and, and to be perfectly honest, it's because they're ones to do with like about being a Mormon. I like, just the whole way through going, oh God, why are you ruining your life this way? It's, probably, it's my own sort of prejudices right. coming through. But most of them are so... It's either moving and like uh, just upsetting. There was one that I cried the whole way down the M11 on the way home from a gig, going, "Oh no, I didn't realise my face is just a mess." And then others that have just been so lovely. There's a great one recently about a woman who trekked across the Arctic with her huskies by herself and has a really unusual encounter with a polar bear. And it, I just, I was sitting on the bus like tense, just listening to yeah. it. But it's it's fascinating because I think it, I'm so used to watching stand-ups, so used to it that you hear something so genuine that's not trying to make you laugh and is just so honest coming from someone that doesn't normally talk. It's, right. Oh, it's beautiful. It's, it's really beautiful. It's interesting you bring up the moth because, I mean, it's funny, when you were, when we were talking about how many podcasts I did earlier on before right. we started recording, I said three. And that's because I'm responsible primarily, like that I'm responsible for three. But another thing that I do is Spark London, which is a true storytelling night very much in the moth vein. Oh, wow. And that has a, a podcast too. So if you want to hear some Londoners in the same kind of context as the moth, uh, take a listen to, to that podcast. But I, That's Spark I don't, London. Spark yeah, I'm going to check that out. That's um, great. I don't produce it, but we've just done, um, well, you know, the producer of the Spark podcast has just done a Radio 4 pilot, uh, which is coming out. This is quite a useful moment to be able to, to, yeah, to yeah. do this, but that's coming out on the 26th of August, and that's drawing on stories from the moth, Spark, and uh, other storytelling nights in London, like Natural Fantastic. Born Storytellers. So if that p- pilot gets... If a lot of people, if anyone listening likes that and tells the BBC they like it, then hopefully it'll become an ongoing series and we'll have sort so. of... Uh, a, a British version of what the moth does because the moth's got an, a, a radio hour in America as well. Yes, it has. Well, they've got they the do. wonderful national public. I suppose they're, they're BBC equivalent to an yeah, extent. Yeah, I guess so. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things as well that I I'm aware that there's storytelling lights here, and obviously I know um, like Sarah Benetto runs a storytellers. Yeah, right. That's comedians doing things. Really good um, but I suppose I didn't 
quite realise until I started looking into it how because I know it's, it's, this is such a pathetic thing but in your head you know I hear them off it's American I kind of just assume it's a very American thing the way yeah. they get up and they really pour their heart out and in my I think because I stereotype the British much more being a British person I just assume our storytellers like, so not like that um, and the more I've looked into it gone oh god we do this well, loads we're really good at this as yeah well, well it's know. an interesting thing because I get this question a lot like I had this, I remember like uh, I was asked this one of the few times I've been like on national radio I was on Radio 5 Live with a woman from the moth as well and I was asked uh, by the host Dolly Mann like uh, what 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 is the difference and like obviously English people aren't going to British people aren't going to want to do that and and, and be as 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 open and I think there's maybe a little bit of truth in that but not that much I mean I think actually one of the things you, that is interesting is how we are more open than you think but the other thing yeah. is it's, it's even more liberating I think to see somebody with like coming through that stiff upper lip yeah like like suddenly revealing like we had a a guy at that at that pilot who was uh who'd survived you know he'd survived a, a, a bombed ship during the Falklands you know with burning wow. bodies all around him and all of that stuff and he was talking you know really powerfully about his experience wow. um, and in a way that you maybe he's never opened up that much yeah. a, until he got up on stage to do it to certainly not to to people who aren't also veterans right yeah like so so in a way the fact fact that we're more closed in our lives in Britain makes makes our storytelling potentially course, even more powerful I think yes that's a really good point actually the fact that it's it's almost they're exposing themselves more than more than you more than I'm saying American right. who's used to just blurting their heart yeah because I'm yeah. somebody who in, in everyday conversation people do I've come to understand that what they mean when they say I'm quite American is that I'm quite open right like that's what <laughs> I mean so I'm someone who yeah if I meet somebody I don't really do small talk I might very well sort of start divulging traumatic or, or joyous experiences whatever yeah. but like I, I haven't got that filter I'm not very good on uh, on boundaries I think if, if you're an American and, that, and that's something you do every day anyway which is kind of easy although again this is playing with stereotypes of Americans absolutely yeah true. There's and, loads and it's of not true at all there's loads of Americans, Americans. Yeah. and also there's loads of more open British people right. um, and I think I think it's very much to do with what you do as a job as well yeah. because like, I was probably more closed before I did stand up and ever since I did stand up I just talk to people all the time right. probably you know, I mean, not like, not just, uh, not all the time, but I will, if I catch someone's eye on the tube or something funny happens, I will just say, say stuff now, whereas I wouldn't perhaps right. 10, 12 years ago. Just because it, you feel it's less scary. What, what's the worst that can happen chatting to people? And you start to realise that most people are quite receptive of it. So I think if you're used to dealing with people all the time, you're probably more of an open person. Yeah, I think it opens you up. Perhaps. I think that's true, and then there was, I think there's also an aging thing though as well. I think like the older you get, the hopefully if you're doing it right, that the more comfortable you are, like in yourself to say that's extent, true. You can yeah. expose yourself a bit yeah. more, or you you kind of a bit more aware of things as well. It would have been hard for me to talk about a lot of stuff. In fact, I didn't. I kept a lot of stuff secret when I was a teenager. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, Whereas yeah, yeah. The, the older course. you get, the more well, cause you haven't worked out your own yeah. head as well. So how yeah. can you talk right. to anyone else about theirs? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, so the sense. second question I ask everybody is, what do you do now? And I guess we're kind of touching on a bit of that. But what do you? What, what's the answer you give when somebody asks you that? Well, do you know what? I, I, well, I, I do now just say I'm a comedian. I do say that. There are times I almost prefer... No, I hate this stereotype. Lots of comics kind of go, oh, when I'm in a cab, I try and think of something else to say. I just, I just, I've given up because I'm not good at pretending I can do anything else. <laughs> and I just think, oh, what's the point? I may as well blurt it out and I'll work it round to not being awkward. I just... I just am also quite good at how people go tell us a joke and I say, no. <laughs> I've stopped mucking about. It's, mm. No, what are you going to do about it? Like, really? <laughs> so, so I am. I'm a stand-up comedian. That is my job. It is the only thing... I say it's the only thing I do. I, I do other things. In So the occasional bit of acting, I do writing and I... Uh, do far too much admin. And, right. And, uh, I think whatever your job, you end up with a spreadsheet. Yeah, just, oh, Jesus, it's just so depressing. Yeah, and lots of odd little, lots of odd little bits and pieces. But uh, like, I'm, I'm currently sort of just had a meeting recently with someone who's a dance producer about a dance piece they're doing on trade unions, and they got somehow thrown my way, and they want lots of different input. So, I'm hoping, so anything, I, I, but I, it still all comes under the banner of my main job is stand up comedian. That is what I waste my life doing. Right, and I use the term waste uh, sarcastic because I love him. Right. <laughs> but yeah, and, and, and I guess so when did when, when did comedy start for you? When did you first kind of come aware of that as an option? As as an actual job, I well, I uh, I always say I cheated with this because 
because there are so many comics I know have got amazing like origin stories so to speak of it like a superhero thing but right. you know there's like you know sort of like Eddie Brimson who was a who was a football hooligan then an animal rights activist and then created an award winning board game and is now a comedian or Craig Campbell that was you know like out in Canadian forests and a biker and, like, and, and there's me I, I did uh, I wanted to do acting I really wanted to do acting and I did drama at University of Kent which is a four year course and in the final year you specialised in something and there was directing or there was radio production or set design which I was not interested in any of those because I was uh, just wanting to be on stage is what I loved <laughs> and they didn't have an acting course because you couldn't how would they find plays for all the people that would want to apply for it too logistically difficult but they did have a stand-up course and I just thought that sounded really fun like, I've always loved stand-up I've, I've been to I, you know I spent my teenage um, well I spent before teenage years my parents brought me up watching Friday Night Live with Lexi Sale and you know and Joe Brand and, and Harry Enfield and I used to love that and then as I grew up I found Eddie Izzard and Jack D and comics like that and went oh they're my comics so I'd always loved it but it was the first time I went oh I can do this myself and so I did it as a year course and we had to do a new 10 minute set every week for 10 weeks in the first term in front of other students, which was the most terrifying thing I've ever done in my life. And then we had to go out and get gigs in London or wherever. I had to get three or four and record them. And then we had to do a specialist show that was like 30, 40 minutes on a specialist subject. So mine was about gimmicks. And I had I did sketches while doing stand up. And at the end of the year, I just went, this is the best thing I have ever done <laughs> and I need to keep doing this right. and sort of fell out of uni and got a crappy job for a housing association and worked all day and spent all nights gigging <clears throat> gigging gigging and it's now been nearly 12 years I've done this for and full time since 2007 so wow yeah so I can't complain I do complain but I can't complain well yeah I mean that's always the thing yeah. when anyone says they can't complain you know they shouldn't in their own opinion. <laughs> no, no, that, that would, I, it's, it's, uh, I in mean, that it's, moment. that's yeah. it, I mean, it's something that I'm, I'm trying to talk about in my current show, but, and it, in fact, it's something I was taught about by the internet, was the idea of checking your privilege, which no, I'd right. never, not, I, I'd be wrong to say it hadn't occurred to me before, I think I've always been, a, I've been brought up by very liberal, very lefty parents, I've always understood the idea of privilege, and class, and, and other people's situations, but the idea of checking my own privilege, being right. constantly aware of it, I think is a much more recent thing because of the term. And that is one of those moments where I kind of go, when I grumble about how bad things are, I do realise that I get to get up late on Mondays. I mean, I get to get up right, late right. most days. I control my own job. I'm not relying on other people. I mean, I am relying on other people for work in terms of club bookers or things like that, but I am writing my own material. I'm performing what I want to say. Right. It's a very liberating job. You know, yeah, yeah, really, yeah. I can't... What can I... There's, I do, like I said, I do complain, but what can I really complain about in well, terms yeah. of... The rest of the world, but I mean, so. and, you're, and you're doing relatively well at the moment. I, I, I would say. I mean, nobody ever likes to think about whether they're doing well or not. But you know, you're you're, you're certainly making a living from it. Yeah. So for me, that's what I want to get to with art. You know, to manage to fund myself. Yeah, that's what, well. That's um, I've had some very tough years, but the last uh, two, possibly three, have been fine, absolutely fine, and I'm, I'm really pleased with that. Uh, there's obviously more I'd like to do, and I think there's still. I've worked especially hard in the last couple of years to try and stop doing the gigs I really hate. <laughs> I haven't done some of the weekend ones for about two years now, and I've been slowly dropping off the other ones <laughs> because I hate them. They make me feel so dead inside, performing to people that have bought Groupon tickets, don't care about the comedy, and they just want really offensive stuff, and I don't want to do that. So I'm now really happy now where I'm still earning a living but doing more of the work I want to do. Right. And that is also primarily because I co-run Comedy Club for Kids, which is like stand-up for children, six-plus right. and families. And if I wasn't part of the three people that run that, I would have you know, a lot less workload. So I'm able to kind of sustain myself with that and then do adult comedy I want as a result. Yeah, I mean, so, comedy, yeah. comedy Club for Kids is a really interesting idea. Like, I've, I'm, I've not managed to see one of them. Oh, you've um, got to come I, along. You did enjoy it, yeah. I've spoken to Beck Hill a, a couple of times on this show. She did a, a kids' show, Beck and Tom's also. Yeah, and yeah. And I loved that. And I know she does a lot of, like, comedy club for kids yeah she does quite a lot of sets for us yeah yeah i mean and, and the idea of like comedians doing that like treating children as an actual audience like giving them the respect that that they're an audience like not talking down to them like making yeah. making comedy sets that just are funny for children not like children's comedy but just funny well, comedy for that's children. all like we've got like quite strict i say quite strict criteria but the like we don't want children's entertainers if you're a children's entertainer we don't want you you have to be an comedian for adults that's willing to do a set for kids right and it mustn't be patronizing if you're patronizing we don't we don't book you you've got to want to speak the kids are your audience don't speak down to them that's yeah, the whole yeah, point yeah. so and, and it's just 
So exciting. I mean, what's interesting is the real mix of... Uh, I mean, the one, one of the things that I berate myself for is I don't write enough kid stuff. I spend a lot of time writing my adult stuff, and I've got a certain amount of kid stuff that I use again and again. It's a bit of an aim of mine to write more by the end of the year. But what's fascinating is we have such a range of acts. We have some acts that do pretty much the same set they do for adults, just with a few less, well, with no swear words. Acts like Tom Allen, who's wonderful. But Tom Allen's set, his adult set, is a lot about his school days. So he just takes away a few of the more crude bits, and suddenly... The kids immediately relate. And then you have other acts, like, say, Andrew O'Neill or Nick Doody, who's particularly wonderful. No, say Andrew O'Neill's particularly wonderful. Or Howard Reader, who've got specific sets for kids that have material they only do for children. Yeah. And so it's really wonderful when everyone comes at it with a different approach. Right. James Acaster always improvises his set completely. Nish Kumar always winds the audience. He pretends he doesn't know what Frozen is. He says, oh, I love the film It's Freezing, with the song Let Us Go to the Shops. And he starts singing it, and all the kids just go, No! Why are you such a moron? And it's just it's like 20 minutes of children shouting at him. Right. It's, be- it's so lovely. I feel like, and actually less so now, I think there's a lot of comedians being really fascinating now and being really daring. But with Comedy Club Kids, definitely a few years ago, it felt like this is where people are being really imaginative. Like, how do we capture these kids' minds? Right, because kids are kind of like very... The way that they respond is kind of... It must be quite refreshing, I guess, for a comedian, because they give a lot... Um, but they yeah. also tell you if they don't like it. Absolutely, in ways that yeah. a, a comedy audience, I guess, kind of blur, can blend into the middle of that. Like people are too afraid to say if they don't like something, and you know that frustrates me in clubs when I'm when I see a club set and there's a kind of a really offensive comedian and 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 everybody's laughing along with it. And I think some of these people must object, but we're never going to hear that they do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You I know? mean, and it's it's well, there's no fear from kids. You're right. not an authoritative because we're not their teacher and we're not yeah. their parent. And if anything we're a figure of fun you know and not often and, and often one of the things they laugh at the most is when a, you know there's an adult on stage saying how stupid they are and the stupid things they do and the kid goes wow this is amazing right. and so they'll all sit in the front row immediately and they have no qualms about telling you what they think or what's in their brain because you are just a silly person on the stage to them right you know and that's lovely that's actually a really nice relationship to have right with them I guess their heckles are more funny than, than frustrating always, <laughs> I mean we we had a thing on Saturday where all the kids because we had two two acts on the bill called Tom, and so we managed to get all the kids to decide that the gig was an annual Tom convention, and everyone was going to change their name to Tom. So we had kids <laughs> shouting out that their name was now Tom, and you know, and they all just get they all join in the little. There's no questioning of the world, you know. Yeah, yeah. There's no kind of this is too silly for me. They all go no, this is we're all in on this. Let's all be silly, and that's beautiful. Yeah, really lovely. So yeah, it's um, it's it, I find it quite because I tend to um, a lot of my adult stuff now is. Oh, the world is so shit. Wow, isn't everything terrible? And all my kids' stuff is, this is fun and silly. So I, I find it gives me a really nice balance right? to have them as well as the adults. Yeah, yeah. no, that's a really useful balance as well because it kind of represents how I feel about the world, I guess. It's like when you do look at the adult world, if you look at the big picture, it is depressing. But if you look at the kind of personal interaction kind of world, the kind of like joy and innocence stuff, that's, you know, those those two things. Yeah, as adults, we experience those things and it's hard to square them sometimes. So yeah. It's, it's good that you're managing to square them in what you're doing. Yeah, 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 yeah. I need to sort of, I, I sort of worry if I start doing gigs with teenagers, it'd just be boring middle ground. Right. So I don't have, a, I don't have anything left for them. Well, they, they, um, they, yeah. you know, teenagers pretty much like their... They like adult Already. Yeah, stuff. yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, there's, there's a really one of our gigs that we run, which I won't name, is for a theatre, and they have a normal kids show, and then they have a twelve to eighteens kids show in the evening, and that is the hardest gig we do because eighteen year olds, well, in fact, from about fourteen to eighteen, they want adult comedy. Thirteen, they're not sure. Twelve, kids comedy, and it's right. like, and so you can't pitch it. And if they're laughing at the one that their friends thinks inferior as well, that's always going to be complicated. Like I think a lot, like a lot of kids would laugh at the kids' comedy. Yeah, but but they don't want their too cool for school. They don't want exactly. So that one's I find that one particularly hard. I don't have stuff. I don't have middle ground stuff. I don't have the yeah thirteen year old stuff. And 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 in terms of like your adult comedy as well, like as far as I can, as far as I understand it from from observing you from the outside, you're sort of like moving towards sort of more direct models of interacting with your fans. Like your your current stand up album, if you like, is you're you're selling directly, right? Yeah, yeah. There's um there's an amazing 
Uh, well, uh, start from the fact that I've got a very, very good, uh, lucky to have a friend called Ben Hilton, who is uh, an editor and a filmer and director. And he, at the time, he had his own kind of editing studios and a lot of equipment. She sadly doesn't have any more because Boris has built a big skyscraper in their old offices and knocked the whole place down because he wants to help the London working people. Asshole. So, but but Ben was just like he'd been bugging me for ages. Going, I want to film one of your shows. I want to film one of your shows. And he, so the the cost was all on him. And he, we found a good venue, and he filmed it all. And it's a show I'm I'm really proud of as well. And so put it all us, done it all ourselves. And he's edited it all himself. And we did an intro and everything. And. And, and there's this website called VHX, and VHX is a bit like Bandcamp, but for videos. Right. And loads of American comics have been using it, so Greg Proops has used it, and Aziz Ansari, and quite a lot of others. And there's a lot of good independent films like Dan Harmon's Harmon Town, I don't know if you know Dan Harmon, but yeah, yeah, yeah. lots of films like that are on there. And so we just put it up, and they, and they let you price it at what you want, they take an incredibly minimal fee. And we just went, let's just give this to, there's no middle person, it's exactly how we want it to be. There's no, there's no crap editing. It's right. all the jokes are in there we want, you know. And in fact, Ben took two jokes out, and and I was like, ah, oh, and then realised, no, he's absolutely right. <laughs> it's much better for it. So I've come to realise, and I don't mean Sam pessimistic, but I've, I've come to realise I'm not a TV comic. I've ne- I'm not going to get those opportunities. I'm not with one of the three big agencies that rule everything. I'm with a really nice independent agent who is does really. She's great, but. I can't get stuff. I've been told I'm unsuitable for lots of the main TV shows and my material isn't suitable. I don't think I have a particular gimmick or image. What do they mean when they say suitable, do you think? Well, uh, well, like one, I don't know. What's weird is one in particular example was uh, Russell Howe's Good News and they came to see me for that and they came to see an Edinburgh show I did in 2011 called Tien and vs. the World because I couldn't think of a good title. And um, that was that was about my coming to politics. Like me, me kind of... That was the year or so before that had been when I'd gone, God, I'm really interest everything and angry about everything because I think that's when we had the coalition government I sort of woke up to it all really and that was a show about it and they came to watch that show and they came and said oh we really love that but that's not suitable for our TV show and I did say I do do other sets I have got two other Edinburgh shows plus everything else and they're like well we've seen that one that one doesn't suit well boom decision right. done so and, and I've had that lots I've had lots of those nearly but and that doesn't bother me because to be fair I try to remember who said this to me recently but someone said like if you watch TV, what programme would you want to be on? And genuinely, I, I don't. Um, right. The ones that I'm jealous of are, are John Oliver's show in America right. that I dream of and wish we had something like that here that, that it gives investigative journalism and, and politics to an audience. I dream of doing something like that. But I just feel we're in a day and age now where we can present, you know, that the internet allows us to connect with people directly. Yeah. You know, with BBC Three going online as well, things are going online, people are connecting to it online what's to stop us releasing our own stuff well, like this podcast you know you yeah, can right. connect you can and, and it's unedited in that way that the, the things that i sort of i suppose what i do or have realized and again comes back to privilege and stuff is like i do understand that you know t- t- the difference it makes if you've got money behind you to the things that you can create myself and ben who i mentioned before we did a, a couple of series on youtube called the partly political broadcast that i was so proud of and it was five minute videos that we did each week for six week periods uh, just did two seasons and it was all political comedy so it's straight to camera political comedy with an occasional sketch in I wrote it all in a day we'd film it in a day he'd edit it the next day bam out and it was great but we do not have the time and the money to do it ever again unless someone was to give that to us right. and Channel 4 like contacted us and said will you submit and we submitted it and they rejected it and we went well what's the point point?" and if we had the money and the time to be able to do that stuff that'd be great but I, I don't you know yeah. and, and that's when you go isn't it I'm, uh, that that's when I feel the world's unfair. Like we can't be as freely creative as you want to be because there's all these obstacles. There's all these obstacles. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and then but then that's the thing. Though, though once you start checking your privilege, like you say, then 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 it becomes even more like I I, I sort of have those sorts of feelings myself. Like uh, if I if I just had the money, I could do this. I, yeah. if I just had the you know structural support, or whatever. And then you think, well, yeah, but I have a lot more privileges than course, somebody yeah, else. Of course, so, yeah. So, you know, it, it, it becomes this horrible thing where, you know, you know that there's these amazing, amazing artists out there who are never getting Who any can't get breaks, anything. You know? No, at all. No, I, I, to- I totally agree. And in fact, that's what, you know, one of the things I love about Arts Emergency right. of trying to help kids get into art that would have no access to it. And I, I do totally agree. And it is, yeah, it is, it is. But that's, I mean, it's hard, isn't it? There's so many complaints that are pathetic when you look at them. Oh, yeah, yeah, they yeah, were. yeah, But I, I suppose just personally, in terms of what I would like to, you know, if, if I could do things, I would love to be able to do a weekly political thing or an on-the-moment political thing. And, right. and I do not have the resources to do that. So the next best thing is to shout about it all the time in stand-up yeah. and release what I can. 
to people absolutely. who hopefully will buy it. Well, also, I mean, as 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 that model grows, as that relationship between you and a, an audience who are not going through a middle person, like th- then hopefully that'll be something that you can maybe utilize to fund something like that in the future that's the got, hope you know yeah you've got that i mean that's the yeah it is the hope i mean i i don't you know i keep searching to even get us get a, get a an audience who will sustain me you know which is because podcasting is a funny thing in that the model is free so, yeah so it's a, very hard to make money out of. it's it's very hard but i, I mean but I, I i found it with the so so the video we released on my show it's it's 199 that's what we charge we thought that is Affordable without hopefully demeaning what it's worth. Right. That's I mean, what that's we a great price. That was what we tried. Yeah. To, or you can stream it for like one forty nine or something. Which but you sort of think you may as well fifty people. <laughs> that was the, our thinking. But it's still the actual. The hardest thing is to get people to know it's there. Like if I say if I when I was tweeting, I've sort of stopped tweeting about it now because it came out a few months ago. But if I did a tweet, for example, and people saw it, I'd get immediate buys. As yeah. soon as that's gone, they don't know it's there unless they check my website or my Facebook, whatever, and. There's so much on the internet, so many other distractions, yeah. that how do you let people know it's there unless you've got a big budget for PR or you can put banners everywhere, you know. So that's also a thing. It, it, it's working out how to, and something I still don't really know how to do, how to make people aware that you are there without being horribly uh, like in your face right. and annoying. You know, right, and that's right, the other right. end. You don't want to go too far and go, I am always here, and they go, oh, just piss off. You know, yeah, there's yeah. a... So, yeah, it's uh, that's the thing that I'm still learning with the internet and trying to work out. Yeah, me too. But, it's yeah. pretty much the, 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 the place we're all at, really, as artists, I guess, now. Like, whatever arts we work in, the internet's such a resource, but it's also so hard to... to to work out, yeah. to work out how to harness that resource, you know. Yeah, and, and you know, and, and the, the, the idea of, like, I'm trying to remember what job it was. I remember someone said that a while ago, kind of go, could you write this thing so, and then we can make it go viral? And you're like, you can't. You can, like, that's not how it works. Like, you yeah. can't just make something go, something happen, it just happens. It's yeah. a thing, it's a happening. It's kind of the things you don't expect to get. That's to it. That's how I've experienced it when things have gone a little bit viral for me. Yeah, yeah. a total chance. You know, I mean, and it's one of the, the things I love and hate about Twitter if there have been times where I've tweeted something out and you're not caring and then suddenly a really like well-known person will retweet and you go oh that's gone nuts oh and now loads of people complaining at me but right, right, you know right. and other times I've spent ages crafting a joke and been really pleased and put it out and no one cares <laughs> you know it doesn't go anywhere right. but it's just how it is it's, it's, you've got to deal with these things yeah 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 so. I mean I'm, yeah, I'm the same all my best all my best tweets in my opinion never get the get never yeah. get the response that of course. You know, some of my you know, something with a typo though, that'll get really you know, everyone, oh, everyone wants to read. That's exactly that. what happens to me. <laughs> it's infuriating. And then half the replies of people telling you about the typo, even though you know right, it's right, there. Right. <laughs> oh, so yeah again, more unnecessary complaints. Yeah, so you, you made a show about becoming more political. I mean and you definitely the, the comedy that you make you know, you could say you're a political comedian, I guess, some of it. Yeah. Um, I mean, how do you feel about the, the relationship of comedy and politics? Britain supposedly has a long history. Well, we do have a long history of satire, everything from Punch magazine to, you know, um, to be able to criticise the government. But I feel now we're, we're both at our weakest point of it and our strongest. We've got comics like Josie Long, who are just incredible, and Chris Coltrane, who's doing Lolitics, and Joe Wells. You know, there's some really good politics stuff emerging, but none of it is on media. TV politics being boring, right. <laughs> all the stuff over the election coverage, and I know there's restrictions as to what you can say on election coverage, but even Charlie Brooker's stuff I love, his election show was rubbish, <laughs> it was just really bland, and, and I feel that that's really dead. I think the most exciting thing is, was actually Frankie Boyle's post-mortem election show, um, and I was extremely lucky to, I, I supported him in April for nine dates, and his stuff now is purely politics. Like, really purely punchy. Like, he's getting audiences who are not expecting that. And he is going on stage and saying, this is where the world is wrong. This is, you know, where privilege is a mess. And and it's fascinating. Interesting, his trajectory. It feels like he's had, like, a kind of almost... A quiet epiphany off camera when no one was watching him. Like, his, his, his stuff now is much more punching it 
more consistently in the right direction. Yeah, well, well, it had some... So, uh, the fascinating thing for me... There were a number of fascinating things. I was incredibly pleased to be asked. Yeah. I just got to spend nine weeks hanging backstage with him, talking to him and watching him, how he developed jokes, which was fascinating. It'd be a day where a joke would be a one line and three shows later it'd be a five-minute routine. Be, and I found that fascinating, watching uh, yeah, how, how the comics grow. But it was interesting talking to him about things like... Uh, he was telling me about when he did the joke on the week about uh, Rebecca Adlington. You might remember. She had something about how she, her face looks like when you yeah, look at a spoon. And lots of people were offended and it kicked off and he said the reason he did that is because Mock the Week were demanding they would still do Olympics jokes and he was saying it's four weeks after the Olympics no one cares about Olympics and they were saying no just do Olympics jokes and he was saying we've got wars happening in these countries we're selling arms to these people I want to, I've written jokes about this and they said no Olympics jokes so he said right fuck you <laughs> here's right. one and, and the thing is is that didn't then come across at all mm-hmm. so you could argue yeah, yeah. that didn't work but Interesting to hear from him that his intention was always to speak of something else. What gets lost in the edits in those, of course. In those shows yeah. is always a, a good question to ask when we're judging a comedian for a, a an edited performance. Definitely, you know, defi- definitely. I, I definitely think that's important to remember. I mean, and I, I mean, I you know, I, I I definitely I definitely like what Frankie Boyle's doing now. Like, yeah. Well, that, well to, to be fair, so. I wasn't a big fan of him at all mm. until a couple of years ago when I first saw him li- actually first saw him live really and he was doing some much more interesting stuff and then as it's got close to time and then working with him and, and all his recent Guardian articles which I think are incredible yeah, um, and just straight to the- he wrote a joke in this week so I was like I really wish I'd thought of that for my Edinburgh show uh, and also he's a really lovely man he wrote me a list of like graphic novels I should check out and stuff I just got him with him really well he's lovely but he's the only one at the moment in, in British comedy who's that big and doing political stuff right. I feel I mean, uh, uh, Josie obviously is very big, but I mean, I'm talking sort of like the mega... And, and I feel that the, the strongest political stuff is, uh, is live, and we're not getting it at all in the, you know, in, in, the, in the mainstream. And that, that's... I don't know... Especially when America has got The Daily Show and John Oliver, yeah. amongst other things, and, and even Stephen Colbert, you know, yeah, yeah. it feels so weird that we're so behind on all this. And, to, and I know, obviously, BBC feels at threat by the government, but... The, there should be something well, out heard, there somewhere. I heard, that, I heard that part of it is that there's laws around what we're allowed to show from from Parliament, how we're allowed to show those clips. Those have just changed. Oh, have they? they have they? So they brought that in because there there, there was, and that was when we were making. I only know about this because we did our partly political things on YouTube. And we were trying to do it, and we got around one by filming a clip from parliament on a phone and then warping it in an edit and putting it distorted and that was all right of david cameron's face all messy and that was okay but they've changed that now they've now said that if it is definitely for parody if it is for commentary or parody then you're allowed to use it freely oh great well that does open the doors for a UK, absolutely a UK, uh, daily show or yeah john oliver's show i think is even even better but then yeah, maybe I'm biased because he's a UK person. Uh, but he's got it. He's got that perfect. Uh, well, yeah, it's it's funny, isn't it? Because I I think he has got the absolute perfect way of just giving putting across a really strong message and at the same time undercutting with jokes when it's appropriate. Yeah. But then the other day that John Stewart's piece about the Charleston shooting is one of the most beautiful eloquent speeches uh, that I heard incredible but also because he's a funny man to then be so serious it made it so powerful you know I think that's one of those I think sometimes it is and it's not always the rule at all but sometimes for someone that you know on a regular basis being funny and mocking things to suddenly come out and say I've got no jokes about this that is a oh you know wow that's that's absolutely in awe of that really but yeah so in terms of in terms of comedy uh, comedy and politics I, I, I I suppose I just feel frustrated by not even for myself you know I, t- I talk about things that I'd like to I'd love to do a show about it I'd love to be on TV it's not even that I'd love to see anyone do something good about it yeah, I feel that there's a massive right. gap uh, and it's not like people aren't interested when we did Partly Political that did well but like uh, Chris Coltrane's Lolitics podcasts do really well yeah, Lolitics gets full every month I constantly you know, people come to my shows and I've had people come to me and go, oh, you didn't do much politics stuff, so I'm really annoyed. Like, oh, I'm, oh, oh, no, <laughs> now I've hemmed myself into a corner. And, and Josie's show said, so you know, there are people that want to hear it. Yeah, so, it's, it's an interesting thing, like when you're talking about what's suitable, like on television, and when we think about how these panel shows are so heavily edited, like I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I don't think the world works that way. I think it's it's much more you know we can see all the conspiracies they're all out in the open and they are they do exist but nobody's pretending they don't yeah and the, the rest of it just happens through you know people just falling in line and playing it safe and worrying about their jobs i think that's what it is but well, i mean that's the thing like 
there's, I see this as well like all of these amazing com- political comedians like and not even just like political comedians the wrong way of saying it like comedians who happen to be you know the, the politics is just there because that's they're talking it. about life that's and when, it when you're not seeing that on the telly it's it's a strange kind of disconnect but it's also a it's also a it's a, like the people coming up new comedians all they see are those panel shows and that's what they then tailor their material to fit right? that's it and, and TV wants uh, a live at the Apollo 20 minute set that's safe you know right. what, they're not going to book someone that's going to come on and, and do uh, you know I, I suppose the, the, the other the, the angle to it that I don't think about often enough is that you know, you wouldn't want to say go on live bully with a political set because it might be irrelevant in two weeks' time. That's the other issue: is you write lots right. of material that does just start. You know, and I think a lot of people realise that and are bored. You know, or feel that's hard. What's the point in writing something and then it's gone? But you don't have to write politics stuff like that. You can be. Oh, it's what I'm trying to do at the moment is be more broadly political. You know, that that shouldn't be a reason not to do it. Also, sadly, I mean, from a political angle, the world kind of has so much repetition in the the problems that we're having that I'm sure loads of people's sets from, like, ten years ago are suddenly becoming completely relevant again now. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And it's all the same issues again and again and again. Um, I had another... This is a really awful thing to admit. I I was so disappointed with the results of the election. The only little silver lining to the cloud for me was that my last show, the one that I filmed, has stuff about David Cameron. (laughs) And I was like... And in my head, I was going... Oh, it's going to be no one's going to want to hear that after May, and then like, well, at least it's got five more years of use. Right. Like, at least, at yeah. least, it's a terrible thing to be pleased about. But you sort of find find the hope where you can. Well, you got um, to take the silver lining. Exactly, somewhere. that was a hard night. Exactly. Oh, Jesus, yeah. yeah, it was. It was, and the funny thing that night was, I was doing satirists for hire with Andy Saltzman and Josie Long that night, oh. and we were having, and it was packed out. It was underbelly. It was absolutely sold out, and it was a lot of fun. Really fun. And then at 10 o'clock, someone read those exit polls to us. And it the whole room just gasped. Like, you felt the tension just... There were there were four Tory voters in the front row who were fine. <laughs> and everyone else was, like, couldn't... You know, it was such a weird thing to feel that feeling in such a mass group of people. Yes. That level of disappointment. Well, I mean, I, that night, I was teching uh, Lampoon Apathy's Oh, you were at that one. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So I had a similar thing, but my job was to be awake the entire, you know, all yeah. night. So it was sort of interesting how the, the audience in that room very quickly became bitter and angry. And, like, there was a lot of tension. Yeah. And, like, yeah, there were also moments of great release, of course, because yeah, that's sure. what comedy can do. But it was a very strange night. Uh, yeah, and, yeah. Well, because we were meant to come, to be honest, we were meant to come to that, and and actually, right. for the start, our show overran horrendously because I think of the the interruptions, uh, and also by when we got to the end, both me and Josie were like, I don't yeah, want right. to do anything. Feel drained. That's, like, well, that's also what happened that night. That as the as the comedians found the you know found heard the results and experienced the depression that came with it. You know the lineup for for what for, for what happened on a, a you know check you know completely changed from what was planned. Yeah. Which, you know, some of the audience might have also thought was kind of an extra disappointment. You know? Sure, but but I mean, but I thought it was very understandable. And actually, I mean, Tom Tuck was was so good, was He's so a great honest. Host. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. he could he could handle anything, and uh, it was interesting the way it went down. But but yeah, I mean, it was a strange night to be kind of at a satire gig, and same sounds like the same for you. Yeah, right? yeah, absolutely, very weird, very weird. But yeah, really hit it home for me. So. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it was. Yeah, a very. It was a very. St- I mean, I guess you know, there must have been people having happy nights. There must you know, have been outside of our bubbles. But well, and also <laughs> in in, in indi- I, I, um, to be less cynical in individual area. You know, like like uh, this area that we're in in Harring in Hornsey. Was it Hornsey and South something Wood Green South? I can't remember. Hornsey, so Hornsey South. That's it. I, I never remember. I should know. Should know. I lived it for a while. But like we were Lib Dem, and we were Lib Dem with Lynn Featherston, who was awful. Yeah. Uh, and she got kicked out and replaced with Catherine West from Labour. So that was great. Like, right. hooray. There definitely was, yeah, moments of joy as, yeah. as, as a lot of the Lib Dems went. And the particular ones who went were, were sometimes satisfying and sometimes not, though. So yeah. it was complicated. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that, that the, one of the things that I, or I'm, I've been trying to tell myself, I suppose, is that there are so many things to immediately react to. And actually, I think you need to play a longer game. We've got five years of yeah, this yeah. shit. We have to 
work out. There, there, I mean, and there's been a lot of stuff that's come in very quickly, which is terrifying. The, the, the British Bill of Human Rights. What's minor extremism? Like, oh, right, some horrible... Right, right. It's been fascinating some horrible how fast rhetoric. Yeah. they've gone. Really, because well. they don't really, have anyone to yeah. quarrel with. But I, I do also feel that there was... Because uh, when you looked at the figures, it was 11.5 million people voted for Conservatives. 9.5 million voted for Labour. So that's not... In a country of 64 million people, that's 2 million difference. That's not that much. And then millions, you know, voted for UKIP Agreed, and Greens yeah, yeah. and everything else. It's a case of lack of representation still. So I think there's, there's got to, there will be a point in a year or so time where people really click in and go, this is awful. We've got to fight against this now, you know. I'm sure. That, that's what I'm hoping anyway. Well, the, amount, the amount of people who are being hurt by, by the policies increases yeah. all the time. You know, and so that's... It's not a hopeful thing, it's a terrible thing that all of these things are happening. But within that, there's this hope that enough people will get that it's terrible. At a certain point, there'll be a quorum. Yeah. And then hopefully, you know, hopefully everybody will then fight for each other. Because at the moment, I find it really upsetting to see people who are just, just, you know, just privileged. It's a a strange sentence. But, But people who are kind of just ignorant, I guess, like just unaware. And 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 that the, there's all of this terrible stuff happening. I feel like if they would, if they, if those people were just like informed, yeah. but, but they would the, care. That's the thing. Like the, the thing that I have to realise myself is that I tell you, I, I met a, a little guy. I've gone on a tangent here, but do you know Tim Fitzhigham? He's a, he's a comic. He's a, he's a bonkers man, uh, and he went across the channel in a bathtub and right. stars run to. He's, yeah, a, he's yeah. a good friend of mine. We've done kids shows together and stuff. And, but he, I went to a radio recording of his, and he. This was a specific show where he was trying to. In a, do an old gentleman's club bet of get sheep sheared in the morning and have a jacket woven of their material by the night, but using all the methods they'd have used in the 1800s. So uh, it's completely nut show. But I sat in the BBC recording thing with the Derby Weavers Association. That's where I was sat. And they were the loveliest, warmest right, people. Right, right. But I spoke to a man and, and he was saying, I had no idea people like Tim existed. I'm an electrician, my wife is a weaver, I get up early morning, I go off, I fix things, I come home, we have dinner, we go to bed. And he had no idea of this world, that he, he didn't, never goes on the internet, doesn't right. have an internet connection. Right. And, and there are all these people that I think, uh, and especially if you look at it in terms of those people that watch the news, you know, the, way, the whole way in which the media directed the election, which I, that's the way I'd put it, it was directed, mm. you had an, Ed Miliband seemed incompetent. David Cameron seemed competent. You wouldn't check up on their unemployment figures that they've changed the meaning of unemployment. How would you know? It's never reported. All you're hearing is unemployment's falling, the economy's growing, even though it's not. <laughs> you, yeah. you know, uh, I spend all day on Twitter looking at these things. I, right. I hear these things come out and I can search and I'll know the people to follow. Where am I going to get these details from? How is that wrong? So many people don't, it's not even don't think to do it, wouldn't know to do it. Haven't got the don't, time. Haven't got the time. Haven't got the time. They've got kids, they've got jobs. And so I can't blame them i can't be angry at these people for not knowing all i can feel is that these people went well i don't want it to be run by this man who can't even eat a sandwich i may as well have it run by you know that that, that, that guy seems trustworthy exactly and it seems to be fine now because they're not living in an area where you can see that homelessness is increasing or where you can see that the youth centers have closed because maybe they're in a small town where it doesn't you know so it's it's tapping into those people they're given a narrative to explain away those things like that's it they're told these these kind of problematic uh narratives about around laziness or around kind of migration or all of these things where they go oh i can i can solve that i can i can i can just run that through the program i've been given and that's you know and and that's a frustrating thing to come up against. It as is well, absolutely frustrating. But yeah. that's, I, I, yeah, I, I suppose I feel like we can't just brand these people as wrong because right. <laughs> how else? Say so again, being educated, I suppose, is a, a patronising way of saying, it, but they've just not learnt to, to think otherwise. The There's been no opportunities to yeah. think otherwise. And I mean, the thing is, if we brand them as wrong, what does that achieve? Exactly, and question. it causes hate. Because I think that was, mm-hmm. the, you know, the, the, the UKIP issue is that there were, I think, a lot of working class votes for UKIP that weren't particularly to do with racism necessarily. I think there definitely are racists in there. But I think that not all of it was. I think right. a lot of it was Labour don't represent us, Conservatives don't represent us, Lib Dems are rubbish, you know, uh, they don't have any other candidates in their area to represent them. Yeah. What, who else are they going to vote for? And I think that that's... I feel like there's a lot of stereotyping on both left and right wings, kind of going, well, they're clearly this, and they're clearly this. We've, you know, pinpointed them as a type of people, rather than saying, hey, you know, I know you think like that, but that is not actually how it is you know like yeah not patronizing people really. i mean i think that's part of like as well like if if we're people who are trying to check check our privilege i think it's up to us to not 
let that easy narrative happen for exactly. us, right? Yeah. I think it's absolutely reasonable for people on the sharp end of all of this stuff to be as angry as, 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 as it comes. Right? Oh, absolutely, yeah. And, of course, we should still be angry too, but, but when we're directing our anger, maybe one of the things that we can do with that privilege is to try and be the people who, 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 who do like, try and persuade those people who are just ignorant. Um, because it shouldn't yeah. be the place of like you know, it, people who are like dying from disability cuts or whatever can't be going around, to, you know, dealing with somebody who's 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 just you know. I can understand why they'd be so angry. Of and, course, and, of, you know, of, that, God, of course, of yeah. course, yeah. No, no, I, I totally. I mean, yeah, I, no, I totally agree. Um, I mean, that's the complicated line. I feel like I'm walking, like trying to work out, like when I'm looking at all of this stuff, like I don't want to police people's anger. No, but, but God, I don't no, no, want. No. But I don't want. I don't want my own anger to just be self-indulgent, right? Yes. That if it. I'm raging from my position of privilege, who am I helping? It's, it, I, but you know, I, 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 I always feel, uh, and this is perhaps a bad analogy, but I always feel it's like uh, with comedy, the way you learn to deal with heckles. Like when you first get heckled, you just deal with it immediately. You just blurt out. And as you get further into comedy, you learn to take a breath. And often repeat back to them the heckle they've just said. And in that time, your brain's going, oh, this is how I'm going to deal with it. And then you respond properly. Although, admittedly, now in my stage of career, I often just go, oh, fuck off. And then I carry on. But, but you know, you, it's, it's almost that pause to think rather than the immediate... Yeah, but I mean, oh, fuck off is quite a neutral uh, yeah. response to a heckler. I think that's yeah. quite a good one. I mean, yeah, it's definitely an, an interesting moment, I think. I often think when I'm watching comedians, because, I, I, you know, occasionally heckles happen at things I do but because I'm not a comedian the job for me is not to, I don't have to I don't have to be funny about right. it I can just kind of engage with it in a way that I, I think comedians don't have that that luxury or that whatever it is I've I've really learned through in fact it's through watching people like Kits and Louis CK and people who just just won't don't have time for it especially if it's if it's an hour show if I'm doing a club gig which is happening less and less yeah. I'll perhaps have more time for it but if it's in the middle of like my solo show like, I don't have to I've got a lot of things to say right you've come to see my show other people are listening to it shut up yeah. get out is <laughs> you've well got nothing annoying. to lose to get you know if you get out you will not be annoyed by this anymore we will not be annoyed by you I just I can't be bothered it's not caring I mean a heckler doesn't care about the room no, as well. heck, like, it's... like often they're completely out of whack and they think that they, they've got the audience on their Absolutely, side and yeah. they're wrong no, completely but right. I mean it is a moment where a comedian has power and it's interesting how you handle it because like, yeah. you can just smack people down in brutal ways yeah. and that's not necessarily pleasant to watch no or, or like that misjudges a room sometimes and like sometimes hecklers are dealt with by comedians in a you know, by they double down on the offensiveness of the heckle often. You know, yeah, yeah. There are definitely bad ways to heckle. Oh, there's, uh, there's to, really... To deal with heckling. Yeah, there's awful ways. And I, and I think, um, like, it was definitely a learning point. I, I, I have... I have been harsh to hecklers like years ago I'm not a very harsh comic I can't be I'm quite friendly on stage but I have been and it was at the time quite invigorating like, yeah, oh. sure. uh, and especially because the audience often reacts as though wow you've responded they don't really care what you've said but after you've done it a couple times you're suddenly going this is really I'm just as bad as them like this yeah. is horrible it, but you almost need to get do it a couple of times to realise right. oh I don't feel comfortable with this anymore yeah it's sort of yeah it's very fascinating comedians are people who have felt quite powerless in their lives often for whatever reasons and so like having that moment of like power must be very like I was bullied at school and stuff like that right so I can imagine that I mean I know from personal experience that there were moments when I bullied other people and that was a rush that was like yeah, yeah. wow this is great and then, suddenly, like, and then yeah. suddenly you're like oh oh yeah oh, just as bad that's yeah. the thing that was just happening to me and I think yeah that's that's the thing it's a comedian like has that decision to make like and and, and maybe, yeah. maybe they notice it maybe they don't you know but that's it's interesting that that is exactly how I feel that sometimes we treat people that we think have voted wrongly right because we're going I hate the way you're aggressive towards other people right. or you are mistreating other people or I'm now going to mistreat you and you right. go hang on this isn't the way we should be doing all this but you know that's uh, that's my view but that's having the view again of spending all day on Twitter looking at things and having thought about stuff a lot since well also election I mean the bigger the bigger the platform the power that you've got the the, the more damaging that kind of reaction can be as well of course yeah the more followers someone has on Twitter the more them being mean to individuals about their politics yeah yeah of course of course yeah, it's a really complicated landscape that we've created for us. <laughs> Virtual oh, landscape. So hard, isn't it, like? 
But yeah, I mean, wow. Uh, yeah, so I should, it's, it's a very hot day, so it's felt like it's been a really, really great conversation, but it's almost... It's, it's, you don't. We, I've got no idea of time. No, no. I was right? going to ask. I, I had no we, clue. Did like, talk at you for hours. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it, this is the hottest day of the year. I think so far. It's at least that's what the weather said it was going to be. And we're, yeah. talk, we're talking in, in your in your place, which is really good. It's actually cooler in here than outside. So. Yeah, it, it's good in the summer. In the winter, it is a terrible thing. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, it's nice and cool in here. And yeah, I'm just going to like look at, vaguely down my notes. I mean, most of we've pretty much covered all of that stuff, and I don't always have notes, but sometimes I feel like if, if it's someone who's got a presence online, I feel like I should probably look over it and see right. what's there. Which was funny, because when I was Googling you, I think we're born in the same year, which is kind of rare. Okay. I think, is, it, is it 1981? 1981, yes, right. indeed. So, I don't know why that... What, I, I Googled you? you, I Googled you, and somebody had asked a question, How? Where, what year was were you born in? Oh, really? Right? How interesting. That's a bit weird. That is I weird. Thought, it's like, slightly creepy. Why does someone should want I to know wor- that? Should right? I be worried? Yeah. It's, it's strange. What what month were you? Uh, uh, right, I was. I'm, I'm October. Okay, um, I'm January. So yeah. I'm I'm the the wrong end of the year compared to you. Yeah, you've yeah, got right. more life on your hands. Right, <laughs> right, right, right. More time left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was. I think I uh, what was I January the ninth. So I th- I'm trying to remember when sadly John Lennon was shot the, that <laughs> December, the December before. So I'm only a few weeks after right, that. Right, right, right. Happy memories. Well, yeah, not for well, me. Not, yeah, yeah. Happy, yeah. That's the funny thing is I like. 1981 is one of those years where lots of things happened actually and it feels like I have memories of those things just because of uh, the, uh, the yeah. history and TV and everything that you've, you've found but uh, but yeah I guess that means that we're both in our 33rd year right I'm 34 oh, yeah, right, yeah of course yeah I'm coming up so you've just finished your Jesus year as I like to think of it yeah right yeah but I've dealt with that I'm yeah. already I'm already past that yeah, yeah. so you like look, look, look back at life have I achieved more than Jesus uh, it's pretty hard to do that <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's I could try to work out if I've performed to bigger crowds than he did or not. Uh, because <laughs> possi- I mean, it's entirely possible because he in those days there were less people around. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but he definitely like stood on the hill, and you know there were loads of people at times, weren't there? So yeah. But I've done festivals and I've done some pretty big theatres, so I must have. I reckon I'm maybe maybe uh, overall. Well, I mean, even if you sort of like if you if you you know. Jesus didn't have the internet, right? That, that exactly. completely expands That's everything. That's a good point. Right? Yeah, well, he only had like 12 followers, didn't <laughs> right, he? He did. I've got nearly 12,000. Right, right, so right. technically, yeah, technically, massively kicking big. his ass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I don't, I, don't, I, didn't, I don't know why I brought up the fact that we're the same age, just because it's kind of like, it was just interesting to me that someone was Googling, like someone was specifically asking I that I find question. that really worrying. I'm tempted to look that up now and then. Yeah. But then it will just appear more often if I look up. Yeah, right. You'll increase the increase the oh. the demand for people to know how how old you are. I guess yeah. the thing is, like we we do so, like it's how we ref it's it's how we it's how we it's how we position ourselves in relation to other people, right? So like, yeah. the fact that we're basically the same age means we'll have the same reference points. Exactly. You know? Yeah, if yeah. I, if I look at your comics collection, it's basically the comics collection I would have if I if I if I had the funds but right. it's definitely like oh wow why the last man and, and preacher like I've just recently got the, co- the collective preacher oh wow uh, and stuff like that. So, yeah. so, so our reference points is a kind of similar position and that, actually talking about that as well the other thing I, I was going to talk to you about is the fact that you, you do do a bit of comics don't you do a bit of art like I well not as much as I'd like to I really right. um, my uh, choice in life when I was a teenager was either kind of Go down the art GCC path or the drama GCC, right. and I chose acting. And but I loved art, and and it's sort of I've got a lot of artists in my family, my uncle and my cousin, and um, and and my great aunt as well. So and I, and I love it, and I really I like drawing when I can. So like, I did a solo kids show last year called Tian and Dion Knows Everything Ever, and uh, I pretended to know everything in the world, and I just lied to children for an hour. But I <laughs> I used lots of I used a PowerPoint thing, which I never never did again because sometimes it doesn't work in theatres, and then right, your show is ruined. Right, right. But all that was drawings and doodles and I enjoyed doing that so much and I really it's one of those things that if there was more time in the world I would happily spend a lot of days scribbling and I love co- and I love comic books uh, partly because of the writing which I think is standard but partly because I'm just going to spend hours looking at the pictures going I want to create these kind of yeah. want to get the ink pens out and and do this you know? yeah I love comics too but I, but I don't have the artistic skill my brother's the, the artist I mean right. I, I yeah, I always wonder if I'd have if I'd have actually tried to apply myself rather than just going, oh, my, my brother's better at this than me, so I won't do it. Well, but that happens. <laughs> and like my brother's a, my younger brother's a DJ and, and a producer, and uh, 
and it is brilliant music stuff now and he's currently right. in the States um, but I always wanted to do DJing when I grew up and I never kind of got around to doing it and then he got really good at it and really good at scratch DJing and I was like well I'm not going to bother now he does that yeah, yeah. I do the comedy. <laughs> we, we've got our own little, you know, titles, isn't it? Right. Yeah, we've put ourselves into these boxes partly because it's like, I partly for me, it's like I don't like to be, I don't really like competition. Yeah. Uh, so I just, uh, if I'm like, if there's a possibility for like competition is going to arise, I'll just be like, no, no, I'll, I'll, I'll uh, yeah. It makes me a very annoying person to try and play games with. Right. Uh, right. My friends will tell you. Yeah, I try and sort of subvert. Do you not even have like a friend that you'll be? Because I've got one good friend. I am competitive. Who I will... That's why I hate it. Yeah. So right. I really oh, I see. Like right. Because I know that if I let myself go, I'll really be. Oh, I see. I'm right. Because like, I'm afraid of that, I will like drop back. It's definitely not because I'm like worthy. I'm, right. I'm, I'm the okay. opposite of worthy. Oh, that's that's <laughs> yeah, that's much worse. Right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that you were you were like not. It's sort of worth playing it, but actually, it's the opposite of just yeah, keep away from you because this will get bad. Well, well yeah. yeah, potentially. I mean, well, no, no. If I play games, what I do is I try to, I try to kind of, I will continually acknowledge the fact that it is all chance or luck, and it's not about like none of us are better than anyone. Right. Else, which really pisses people, <laughs> right? Um, and so, I guess to that extent, like I, I can really go at that to an extent where it just ruins the game for everybody. Yes, but I yeah. feel ethically okay. Right, <laughs> right. I see. You've worked that out well for yourself. I think yes, you're quite for myself that. Yeah. Is, the, is, the, is the problem with it. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. Remind me never to challenge you at anything. Well, yeah. I mean, that's it. I, I think it's it, yeah. But com- but competition is a is a funny thing. Like I I I am attracted to it, but I do think it is you know it's a big part of you know politically it's a big part of a lot of the problems that we have this idea that it's that we're all in competition with each other and, yeah. and that sort of thing and so it, it does become like 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 you're going to the moth tonight right yeah 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 and i love the moth but i'm scared to do the story slam even though every month i tell a true story live on stage sure because because i don't like the idea of, of true stories yeah. being comp- in competition like yeah the, and, and and maybe that's the same with comedy like there's a lot of comedy well, what, that upsets me hugely comedy because yeah. the whole point is we're individual acts we're all doing our own thing and why is that a competition right but then the Turner Prize similarly it's all art it's all don't yeah. say one is better right. like, it's all subjective how right. can things that are subjective be better than one another to that's right. You know, they might be to someone, but that's because it touches them in a different way. To oh, it's infuriating. Yeah. Well, I mean, at the same time, you know, like I say, it is an instinct to be competitive if I'm if I'm not careful. And my girl, my girl, my partner is is very happy to be competitive, which, right? Which no one expects her to be because she's kind of quite like quiet and, and introverted. So right. Nobody expects that she's like solidly competitive. But she, <laughs> she really is, and people don't know that about her. So she'll love me telling the the, the audience. Yeah, I think that's that. exactly what. Yeah, yeah. Good, She's lost good, that good kind of stealth surprise. <laughs> but, but yeah, the last question that I ask everybody is: uh, Do you have anything to plug? Uh, oh, too much. That's uh, all right. Plug it though. You should, well, well, for a start, there's the show we spoke about, which is online. It's called uh, "This Isn't for You," um, and you can. Uh, the, the big problem is, is that all these things that I'm about to mention, you have to be able to spell my name. And that is really hard for me. It's, I think I almost think it's a hindrance in a way, because like if I was just called like Tom Doobie or something, everyone would be able to type that in. But so it's Tian Dooyeb, right? D O U I E B. Um, and if you find that on my website or uh, type in Tian Dooyeb, this isn't for you. You'll find it. And it's one ninety nine. Um, so I've got that. But also I'm doing. I'm writing a new Edinburgh show at the moment, which will I'll be doing throughout the fringe again uh, at the free fringe though. So uh, at two thirty every day at the Liquid Room Annex as part of Peter Buckley Hill's Free Fringe. Cool. Yeah, and that's called The World's Full of Idiots, Let's Live in Space. And it is a show about my frustrations with humanity and how awful we are to each other. That's generally, it's an hour of that <laughs> with occasional space references. So I've got that and my Twitter, which I am on relentlessly, even though I try to be on it less. <laughs> so yeah, all of those things. Type in my name, find stuff. Yeah. I mean, I guess at least you're, you're, hopefully it's got to the stage where if people type in your name and get it a little bit wrong, it will take Google does correct you. Yeah, 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 that's it. Yeah, um, which is quite nice. But I'm the only one, like really, I'm the only two in the DM, as far as I know. You can't find another so one. So that is good. I mean, you know, yeah. it's, I, I, I can understand it's a problem as well. Like, it's hard to spell, but the fact that it's unique makes it Good. Yeah, you know, yeah. If you were called, you know, something very standard, it would be frustrating. Of course, and I'd be so under fifteen hundred right. other ones that are better of things, you know. So yeah, I, I totally, I, I, I do understand that. But I, uh, yeah, I was, I remember like touring, uh, doing tour support of different people, you, you know, over the years, and people coming up to me going, "I really enjoyed that. What's your name?" And I'd tell them, they'd go, 
Oh, and then sort of walk off. And I know full well you're never going to look that up. <laughs> like, it's just how it goes. But yeah, so if, if people can be bothered to try and type it or, or want to give it a go, it's quite fun. It's almost like a game. Try You had a go earlier. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so then you find my website, join my mailing list. I will harass you with things through that. Wicked. And yeah, I mean, so then this, and I'll, I'll definitely put this out before Edinburgh, which is which will be useful. Hooray. Um But yeah, I mean, and it's good to, yeah. So is this the first time you've done the free... Fringe. I did a half run last year on the right. Free Fringe with the show that's recorded because okay. I'd already been touring that show, so it was a bit of a cheat. And I did a half run of the Free Fringe. Went, wow, this is better. Not losing all the money. Right. I, I lost so much money in 2011. I couldn't go for two years. Well, I don't understand why any comedian with a, with an audience with a, like with, when you know you can get enough people to fill it, like or sometimes at least, yeah, yeah. Like why any comedian doesn't do the Free Fringe? Like I, it's it's. It's tough for people like me who haven't got very like very much kind of audiences, although that's growing and changing, and yeah. you know, got to really check my. The thing with the free fringe is it doesn't matter if you don't get loads because right. because right. when I was in a paid room, if I didn't have a half full or full room, my head was going, "I'm losing money," right. and you do a worse performance. You know, right. if I've got the free fringe, if for some reason only seven people turn up, I don't care. I go brilliant. Here's seven people that want to see this show. Right. I can perform it to them, and, that's a lovely, and there's no loss to me. Yeah. That's a lovely thing, actually. Intimate audiences can be really absolutely. good as long as everyone feels comfortable with that. Absolutely, You're right, yeah. absolutely right. So I think it's definitely for the best. Yeah. Well, that's great. Uh, and the last thing I ask my guests to do is to say goodbye to the audience. Oh, thank you, audience, for listening. Goodbye. Bye, everyone. Stand Up Tragedy are going up to the Edinburgh Festival again this year. We'll be putting on an hour of tragedy every day at 7.30 at the Banshee Labyrinth as part of the Free Fringe. Apart from on Tuesdays when there'll be live recordings of Getting Better Acquainted. We're doing the whole run the 8th till the 30th of August. It's not just going to be your regular stand-up tragedy where I gather together people from different parts of the arts to do tragedy so comedians storytellers musicians spoken word artists and more coming together in a different mix of sad and funny and thoughtful it's also going to have special editions where there'll be guest hosts guest collaborations all sorts of exciting stuff going on so check out our website www.standuptragedy.co.uk Friend us on Facebook where we're Stand Up Tragedy or follow us on Twitter at Stand Up For Tragedy to get more details about the exciting stuff that we're doing. As we mentioned in the show, Tiernan will be doing his Stand Up Tragedy debut. He'll be performing on the 16th of August. Stand Up Tragedy tries to create a safe space to talk about unsafe things and to make you cry until you laugh and laugh until you cry because I believe that getting together and looking at the hard stuff, looking at the sad stuff and having catharsis as a group is a really important thing. Stand Up Tragedy is also a podcast and the podcasts come out every two weeks or so, although during the Edinburgh Festival they'll be coming out all the time. We're going to have a whole range. Basically we're going to be an audio channel of really interesting, exciting, funny, moving tragedy. So you can check that out on iTunes or any of the places that podcasts go to hang out on the internet. Stand Up Tragedy is also producing my first ever solo show called What About The Men? Mansplaining Masculinity and that'll be every day apart from Mondays at the Cabaret Voltaire at 12.05. As research for the show, I did a survey of a thousand men what they think about masculinity and patriarchy and that became a thing in its own right. You can read through all of the responses, guest posts and blogs and find out more information about the show over at www.mansplainingmasculinity.com masculinity.co.uk